Almighty Father, your love constrains me that I should preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Grant that I might do so in the power of your Holy Spirit, that Jesus be glorified, for we ask it in his name. Amen. I'm probably the only one in the room that remembers the TV show Boston Blackie that aired in the early 1950s. Boston Blackie was a Los Angeles private detective who managed to solve crimes before the cops. He had a little dog named Whitey, a part spitz mutt. I had a dog that looked just like Boston Blackie's dog that I called Tippy. When I was 10 years old, Tippy was my best friend. One day I was sitting on the back steps of our house crying about what I don't remember. Tippy came up to me and pushed in close, wagging her tail. I was upset, but I realized at that moment that Tippy loved me unconditionally. I was not alone in the world. Beloved, you are not alone. You too are loved unconditionally. Now I could almost cry again, not because I'm sad, not because I'm brokenhearted, but because I'm overjoyed knowing the love of God in Christ Jesus. How is it that I know the love of God? It may seem silly to you if you have never preached the gospel. It is because of the task that lies ahead of me this morning that I know God's love. Under God's sovereign direction, the church has appointed four texts to be read this morning. Texts that any preacher would love because each screams with great clarity the good news of the love of God in Christ. Listen to some snippets from each of the readings of this second Sunday of Lent. In Genesis, we hear Abraham say, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. That alone almost brings me to tears. In the psalm we read, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol and, or let your Holy One see corruption. This Peter would quote on the day of Pentecost referring to the resurrection of Jesus. Romans says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, Mark tells us that Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed and after three days rise again. The text says Jesus spoke plainly of his passion, death, and mighty resurrection. Look with me a bit more closely at each of these lessons. In chapter 21 of Genesis, Sarah told Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son. She told him that she did not want Ishmael, the son of Hagar, to share the inheritance with her son Isaac. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham, but God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy or because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is the context. Now in chapter 22, Abraham is told, take your son, your only son Isaac, 
whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham had waited decades for God's promise of a son. The promise that was fulfilled when Abraham was 100 years old. Now he is told to sacrifice that son as a burnt offering. What anguish he must have felt. What torment of soul. How could this be God's will? The writer through the Hebrews gives us some insight into Abraham's faith. By faith, the writer says, when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac. For he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Oh, beloved, what glorious good news. Abraham, the father of all the faithful, believed in the bodily, physical resurrection of his son. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham proclaims the gospel with great clarity. God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Jesus is that lamb the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The story continues. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood on it in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Beloved, Abraham did not withhold his own son, his only son. Neither has God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, withheld his son, his only son. God will provide. God has provided. Do you feel his love? Turn now to Psalm 16, beginning at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. 
because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. How often the things of this world shake us, the trials, the tribulations, the rise and fall of the stock market, the political turmoil, the threat of war and terrorism, the challenges of daily, daily life. But God is at our right hand. Jesus promised, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The psalmist proclaims the gospel with great clarity. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. This is a prophecy of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Peter quotes this text in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And Peter closes that sermon with this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus, Peter says, is both Lord and Christ, the crucified one, risen from the dead. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. You too will not be abandoned to Sheol. You will not see corruption. You will be raised with Christ in glorious resurrection. Good news. God loves you. But we have only just begun. Paul's letter to the Romans is full of good news. Paul almost shouts the gospel to anyone and all who would hear him. Halfway through the letter to the Church of Romans, Paul breaks into song. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Beloved, God is for us. How do we know? He did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. The Son of God who was in the beginning with God and is himself God, God of gods and Lord of lords and King of kings, was delivered over by the Father to suffering and death for us and for our salvation. Who can be against us? Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his son, believing that God was able to raise him from the dead. God the Father did sacrifice his only son. He gave him up to suffering and death, to shame and humiliation of mocking crowds, to the cruelty and abuse of the Roman soldiers, to the agony and excruciating pain of the cross. And why? For us, for our sin, for our salvation, the just for the unjust. The greatest injustice known to man was perpetrated on the cross of Jesus Christ, that we might be judged righteous before a righteous judge. Paul shouts with joy, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is condemned. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, 
who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, the one who died for us, the one who was raised from the dead, ever lives at the Father's right hand to intercede for us. Who would come before the high court and condemn us? God is the judge. Jesus is our advocate. He intercedes for us. Paul continues, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Each of you has a story to tell, a story of tribulation, of distress, of persecution, of danger. Some perhaps even a famine or nakedness or the sword. Life is hard, the old saying goes, and then you die. But nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was spring 1972. I was at home in bed with the mumps on both sides. Carolyn was at the hospital with Frederick, who was undergoing some tests. A nurse drove her home. She was too upset to drive. She came into the bedroom and she sat on the side of the bed crying. She told me that Frederick was severely brain damaged, that he would probably never walk or talk. For the first time in my life, I was facing a situation I could not handle on my own. I was an aggressive young man, the kind of person who walked in a room and if nobody was in charge, I would take charge. How could I face the news I was given? How could we face it? I rolled out of bed and got on my knees. I think for the first time in our marriage, Carolyn and I prayed together. We were nominal Christians. We even went to church sometimes. But I think we both knew that we had no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Fortunately, we knew where to find him at church. We got involved, we asked for prayer, and six months later we met Jesus Christ in a very personal way. I tell people now that not only does Frederick walk and talk, he never stands still or shuts up. <laughs> God's love is amazing. You know the song. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, should die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. No, says Paul to the church, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing in all of creation will separate us from the love of God. In, if your king would die for you, what will he not do to show you his love? Do you feel it yet? Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. The psalmist prophesied that God would, allow, would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. Paul told the Roman church that Jesus had died for us. More than that, was raised and intercedes for us. 
And so we come at last to Mark's gospel. Now we hear it on the lips of Jesus. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Beloved, the good news goes beyond the death of Jesus on the cross for our sin. The good news is bound up in the resurrection, the victory over sin and death. We will be raised with Jesus. That is the gospel. Lent is a season to make preparation for Easter Sunday morning. Preparation for us sinners to enter into the resurrected life. Preparation to live life free from the fear of death. But Peter, poor Peter, he just could not accept the good news. Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. At least we can say this much for Peter. He didn't openly rebuke Jesus. What was his problem? Peter might have rejoiced in the promise of the resurrection, but he didn't hear it. He was taken aback by the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. How could it be that the Christ would suffer and die? I have a good friend who just couldn't accept the fact that the loving Father would allow his Son to suffer and die for our sins. She saw it, as many others do, as child abuse. How can a loving father do that, she would ask. Thankfully, the day came when she realized that the penalty of sin must be paid. As Paul said to the Roman church, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. In Jesus' own words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love for us is manifest in his passion and death of Jesus Christ. His love for us is demonstrated in Jesus' mighty resurrection. Jesus rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Beloved, is our mind set on the things of God? or on the things of man. If we are determined to follow God's will for our lives, if we believe his loving promise of eternal life, then how shall we live? Jesus has the final word. He called the crowd to him with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Your cross is not your annoying neighbor. It is not your difficult work situation. It is not your illness or disease, though we must learn to live graciously with some of these things. 
No, your cross is that which you willingly take up upon yourself for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is your bold witness to the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Before I went to seminary, I was the junior warden of our church in Columbia, South Carolina. As such, I was responsible for maintaining the buildings and grounds. I scheduled a men's workday one Saturday to clean up the churchyard, and only a couple guys showed up. I was ticked. <laughs> I was mowing the yard and grumbling with the Lord. I wanted to do great things for the kingdom, I told God. I told him, I'm willing to do whatever you ask. Do you know what God said? You do, don't you? He said, would you mow the grass? <laughs> Beloved, Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. The psalmist prophesied that the Holy One would not see corruption. God, Paul broke into song because God did not spare his own son, but gave him up to die and rise for us all. And according to Mark's gospel, Jesus himself spoke plainly of his death and resurrection. Easter is coming. What are you doing in this Lenten season to prepare to live life in the power of the resurrection? Jesus is coming again in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What are you doing to prepare for his return? Are you ready for Easter? Are you ready for Jesus' return? The Father loves you. He gave his Son to die and rise for you. And Jesus will return for his loved ones, that where he is, there we may be also. Are you ready? Get ready. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>